right, guys. What's up? Jay Martin here, investor and CEO of Cambridge House. And I'm joined right now by Patrick Pet David. Patrick, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for joining me. It's good to be on with you. So there are so many directions I want to go with this conversation. Um, you know, I want to speak to the uh, to the individual who, who fl fled a war in Iran, moved to America at the age of like 10 or 12, joined the 101st Airborne Division, was a very young entrepreneur, a very successful entrepreneur. And now, you know, you're somebody who I look at as like a real force in the media business, right? So I, I think that's the best place to start because, you know, I'm very troubled by the state of our media sector, Patrick. I just think it's breaking in front of us. And that's that's probably good, great opportunity, but it's it's causing a lot of unrest simultaneously. And so, you know, you must be watching this. Tell me if I'm wrong, but, you know, I, I see what you're doing with Valuetainments and I'm curious as to why. What's driving you right now to, to, to build what you're building with Valuetainment? Yeah, so, you know, for me, freedom is very important. I, living in Iran, you don't have a lot of it. You, you can't really voice your opinion. You don't have freedom of assembly. You, we can't do this. We can't sit here and talk about it. everybody that follows my content from Iran is on the underground VPN server that's illegal that they're used and spending money to be able to hear it. And people come together in a community, hear some of this stuff. But we're free. We're, we, and we like to keep it that way. So the reason for the media uh, direction that I took is I, I think it's kind of like this. Think about it when you were talking about the direction mainstream media is going and it's a concern. And, and some people long term are worried what's going to happen. Are we going to be affected by it or not? And, you know, what if, you know, what if these guys really take over? I don't think that's going to happen. This is why. Say you and I go into a mall. There's 100 people there. And you see a, a man and a woman start arguing. And you kind of notice that they're sitting six tables down from you. And you're kind of like, wow, those guys are pretty, pretty loud. And like, oh, you're just looking at each other like this. And one of them is not saying anything. And the other one's getting worse and worse and worse. Next thing you know, he slaps her in the face. Okay. Now we know for a fact about 50% of people are not going to do nothing. They're just going to react. Okay. They're going to like, oh my gosh, he hit her. Okay. And someone's going to scream. And then there's going to be probably 20% that's going to take their phones out and do this. And they're going to do an Instagram live or Facebook live. And then there's going to be a group of people that are going to leave because they're uncomfortable with conflict. And that makes them so uncomfortable. So they flight and a few that don't even know what to do. They just freeze. But there's going to be a few that are going to get up and they're going to walk up and they're going to say, bro, you can't do that. You don't know what she did. Honestly, I don't care what she did. You just can't do that. And you got to stop. You're making me feel uncomfortable. I don't want to do anything. Just stop. Can you leave? Ma'am, are you okay? Are you feeling safe? I'm not. Bro, you got to leave, okay? And so then three, four, five other people are going to get behind the first guy that gets up. And then he realizes if he wants to kind of get a little too crazy, there's more going against him. Then on his side, he's in trouble. That's what's going to happen to media. You can get up and try to bash and silence a lot of personalities. Here's how historically it's worked. It'll work for a month. It'll work for a quarter. It'll work for a year. It ain't going to work forever. People don't like to be controlled. That's what history has said. Okay. People don't like to be controlled. And there's always eventually somebody that rises up that wants to say something about it. This, this is the same reason why some people like yourself end up become entrepreneurs. You got a job, you work for a boss. He's not a good boss. He mistreats people. He doesn't recognize people. He doesn't make people feel good. 
who go above and beyond. A guy comes and works over the weekend. No one knows about it. The boss knows about it. He doesn't reward them. And eventually, people sit there. Maybe they can work with that guy for a year because he's getting a salary, maybe two years. Eventually, they're going to be like, I still like working with this guy. And they're going to leave. Capitalism and freedom works. Mistreating people long-term, stealing from people long-term is not an effective business plan. And it never has been. Neither is controlling people. I, I want to agree with you. And I, I see the same indicators. Like I see voices like yourself standing up. And, and honestly, that's one thing that I'm trying to do. Um, you know, I, I published a newsletter yesterday that was the most provocative piece I've written so far. And the blowback I've gotten this morning has been crazy. But, you know, I felt really good to stick my neck out and voice a strong opinion about something. My concern is that, though, you know, how manipulative media can be. And we can see that scenario and know that it's wrong. And hopefully, yes, some people will stand up, but the people who you described as kind of exiting quietly because they want to avoid the conflict, you know, they're on a team, right? And they're, they've been sold a story and a narrative. And it's, it's tough to see your way out of that because, you know, media has become this like shit fight of smear campaigns that really has no regard for the truth, but it's very, very seductive. You know, by design, they're very good at what they do at getting you to react and getting getting you on the team, you know, and then keeping you on the team. So how do people escape that rabbit hole? Temporarily. Remember, the key is temporarily. When parents get a divorce, okay, one side tries to bash the other side. Let's just say, not all the time, but one side tries to say, you don't really know who your dad is. And you, let's just say, you have a great relationship with your dad. Or your dad says, you don't really know who your mom is. And you, you love your mom. You got a great relation with your mom. So that comment by one of the parents being insecure, trying to win you over to know the reason why divorce happened wasn't them, it's the other side. It may work for a year. And you may turn against your dad. You may turn against your mom. It may work for four or five years. But eventually, you're going to grow up and you're going to say, mom, it, would re it was really you. You, you were able to convince a lot of people, but now everybody knows you were the reason why he left you. Or eventually you're going to say, dad, listen, love you. I'm no longer 11 years old. I'm no longer 13 years old. I'm 24 years old. I watched you and I watched her. We all know it's you, but I still love you. But you can't do that anymore. I'm a grown man. I've moved out of it. I mean, just stop doing that because no matter how much you bitch about mom, I know how mom is. I love mom. And if you want to see me more, you just can't talk like that. Oh, we don't, don't, don't. eventually there's going to be that friction, right? People are going to mature. Most of us fall for things emotionally. Heck, I did for the longest time. I remember I was a kid and uh, my mother's side, they were all communists. And my dad's side, they were all imperialists. And I grew up hating rich people. I couldn't stand rich people. And my mother would say rich people are greedy and this person and that person and this person and my dad would say poor people are lazy so on one side rich people are greedy on the other side poor people are lazy so who's right mm -hmm. here's the crazy thing they're both partially right and they're both partially wrong because there's a lot of rich people who are greedy but most rich people i know they're just not greedy okay and then there's a lot of poor people that are lazy but a lot of poor people i know they're not lazy they just don't read books and they haven't found a new strategy. They haven't found the right environment yet. So they keep following that same habit that everybody else is doing, right? Mm -hmm. Eventually, when this whole thing was taking place, one day I go to school, I'm 13 years old, and my teacher's talking about politics and she's talking about Democrats, Republicans, Independents. And 
Democrats this and Republicans this and you know, independents this. And obviously in school, majority of them are gonna lean towards Democrats and they're not gonna like teachers. So one day I'll come home. I say, mom, you know, today they talk about Democrats and Republicans and independents. What are we, by the way? And my mom said, we're Democrats. I said, really? Yeah, awesome. Tell me why. She says, because Democrats are for the poor and Republicans are for the rich. I said, man, when I grow up, I want to be a Republican. <laughs> she, she has, she's like, no, you don't. I said, mom, I want to be rich. I don't know what Republican. I don't have a clue what this stands for. All I'm trying to say is I hate being on food stamps. I hate being poor. I hate people feeling sorry for us. I can't stand others feeling sorry for you and saying things like my friend's family would say, or the Davids, you know, broken family, mom and dad got a divorce and Patrick's probably going to end up being a drug dealer because all my friends were this and this and that. I said, I don't know. Don't feel sorry for me. I don't like that feeling. So I wanted to grow out of it, right? Philosophies of victimhood mentality, of being helpless, of feeling sorry for yourself may convince you and be convincing for your five years, 10 years. You're eventually going to wake up and you're going to say, what kind of results have these philosophies provided me? Has my life changed positively? Are my dreams becoming a reality? Am I advancing my life? Am I becoming a better leader? Uh, is, my, is every aspect of my life improving? If it's not, maybe I got to change my way of thinking and my philosophies. You're going to get to that point. Now, even if you do, a very small percentage of people are going to want to change. Look, politically, I'll say this last part and I'll turn it back over to you is this. So many people think in America, uh, you're in Canada, and right now Canada does a mess when it comes down to a lot of different things that's going on there, but that's a whole different conversation. I had Jordan Peterson all last week and we talked about it, week and a half when we talked about it, mm. is we think in order for things to change, we have to turn Republicans into Democrats or we have to turn Democrats into Republicans. People don't realize there's 40% of Democrats, no matter what you ever do, they will never vote Republican. And there's 40% of Republicans, about 47, 44% and 47%, about 44% of Republicans that are always going to vote Republican. You're never going to change them. And you're never going to change a 47% of Democrats that are going to vote Democrat. And then you got two to 3% that's libertarian and green. You got about 12% of people that are in the middle that are sitting there saying, yeah, I don't know if I agree with that side. And they go this way. Mm. Yeah, honestly, you guys are going a little bit too much. They go this way. 12% of the world runs the world, not the other side. Because the, the people on far sides of each side of the aisle, they're, they're not going to be converted. They're not the most reasonable people. But the people here are the ones that will reason and say, I think you make sense. Fine. I think you make a little bit of sense. Fine. And they're the ones that typically, like a Joe Manchin in America is holding all together. You need more people like that that are in the middle that are able to reason. And those people are out there. They are. And, you know, you, you struck on something that, that I've been thinking about a lot lately, our inability to engage in tolerant debate, right? Like we're very quick to draw lines these days. And, you know, call back on the newsletter that I published yesterday, my intention was to provoke. And I was talking about the, the freedom convoy that has recently had across Canada and now is you know, making headlines across the world. Canada rarely makes headlines across the world, right? So we're watching this and, you know, I voiced my opinion on it, right? And uh, it wasn't for or against, but it was, it was, you know, here's some things that I love about it. And here's why I think it's also going to go too far. And here's where I think the miss was, right? And I think it comes down to a leadership issue, right? If you don't address your problems, they become bigger, right? And that's what's occurring right now. Um, however, you know, 
people, as soon as they hear one idea that offends what they may think, they just see red and, and shut down and, and forget, you know, the importance of civil discourse, right? And, um, <clears throat> you know, how do we overcome that? Because it's just like, I, I feel like teams are deepening, divides are deepening. And, um, and I don't, I see the trajectory going one way, Patrick, and I, I hope that we can turn it around, but it's hard to see sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah, listen, you know, I'm around people who don't think it's going to change. Okay. And I believe it's going to change. Okay, my dad and I, we always have a dispute. Here's a dispute. I, when I got out of military, I was in sales. And I've been in sales for a while. So I used to just sell at first. And then I became a sales leader. And as a sales leader, you hire salespeople and you get a feeling for them. You say, I think this guy could one day win. I think this guy can one day make six figures. And I lean towards people being able to positively change because if you knew me when we were in high school, you would have never guessed I'd be in the situation I'm in right now. You would have said, no way in the world. Even every single guy that was with me in the military, if you asked them, where would Pat be? They would say, I don't know. I think he's gonna be a bodybuilder. But they wouldn't have told you he's the smartest guy. He's gonna do this, he's gonna do that, right? Okay, so I believe in people changing. I do. I believe in people positively changing. Not 100%. But I do believe the right people will change. And I lean towards that. It's an optimistic way of thinking that people's dreams matter more to them than their egos. And unfortunately, those whose egos matter more to them than their dreams, I can't help those people out. And you're going to have a filtering system of those people just filtering themselves out. And one day they're going to wake up at seven years old living with a ton of regrets. Unfortunately, there's nothing I can do about it. The reason why the Constitution works and the American system works and the capitalism works is the four reasons. You have the freedom to buy whatever you want to buy, that's legal. You have the freedom to sell, whatever you want to sell, that's legal. You have the freedom to fail, okay? And you have the freedom to try. The one we have a problem with is the third one, which is the freedom to fail. Mm. You should let people fail. Your business could fail. You screwed up. You're not a good operator. You should go be an employee. Yeah, you're right. You're not a good salesperson. You should go be an employee. Yeah, you're right. You're not that funny. You're not a good comedian. You're not that funny. You think you're funny. You're not. You, you know, the market's going to tell you, but you have the, you, you have the opportunity to say, I think I'm a great actor. Go for it. But I belong in the NFL. And then you're 28 years old saying, you don't belong in the NFL. You're just not good enough, right? The market is going to have the filtering system for what that is. So go, going back to your question saying, but Pat, you know, is something going to change or not? You know, and we can't really have the tough conversations together because it's kind of, you know, it's, it leads into tougher things. I'm at Maestro's Saturday, taking my wife out to dinner. Obviously, today's Valentine's Day in the U.S. while we're recording this, and it's her birthday. We're going to Maestro's. And I'm a guy that talks to everybody that's sitting around me. I'm always curious, right? So first waiter shows up, diehard value tainer. Oh, my gosh, Pat, good to have you back. And da, 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 da. Great. Manager shows up, value tainer. Another guy that's a big you know, social media influencer, millions of followers, shows up. We're having a conversation. Then just a regular guy shows up who doesn't know me, which is why I like to talk to because they're just, I can have a real conversation with that person. I don't mind talking to the value tenants. I love that. It's a lot of support fans, but right. I want to talk to a regular guy because I want to know what the regular guy is thinking. So I said, so where are you from? She says, I grew up here. Really? Yes. What do you like about it? Such and such. Where are you from? I'm from LA, 20 some years, and I lived in Dallas five years. I've been here four years. What brought you to Florida? What brought me to Florida? Yeah. Taxes, your governor. The fact that they leave me alone, the weather, and the fact that if California and Texas had a baby, it'd be Florida. Hmm. Okay. Walks away. 
I look at my wife, I said, I guarantee you that guy politically leans to the left. So he comes back. I said, so, uh, so he's, he's curious now. So he starts asking me questions. My brother's from San Francisco. One of them's from San Diego. I said, San Diego is a great city. Unfortunately, San Francisco, Pelosi ruined the city. It used to be our favorite city. I don't know about that. I said, babe, my wife's like, babe, you were right. I said, so listen, is it fair to say that politically you lean to the left? Yes. So let me ask you a question. And then we start talking about uh, who would be your candidate, you know, because I said, you're obviously not a Trump fan and maybe you'd be more comfortable than DeSantis than Trump. And he says, oh, I don't like either one of them. I said, fair, then who would win if Kamala and Joe Biden don't get reelected? Who would you like to see? We don't have a single candidate that we're going to do this with. And then the more I was going into the conversation, he's like, look, I'd like to stop it right here because this is my protocol and this is how I keep my relationship good. I said, one of the things you have to not worry about me is I have these types of conversation with everybody every day and I still have great relationship with people out there. But this is what I learned, Jay. What I learned is the following. We create our opinions based on four different reasons, okay? One of them is family, the way you were raised. Nearly 90% of people, whatever faith their parents had, they had. If they were Catholic, you're a Catholic. If they were Christians, you're a Christian. If they were Mormon, you're a Mormon. If they're atheists, you're an atheist, right? And then there's a 10 or 20% that's kind of like that. I don't agree with you. I'm going to go figure myself out. So one is family. Two is the direction you take in life. Military, you're going to more, lean more towards the right. Okay, education, you're going to lean more towards left. You know, Silicon Valley, you may be in the middle because, you know, center left, let's just say, because you're still running a business. You go become a business owner, you're probably more center right. You go into Hollywood, you're going to be far left. You, you understand how this, you go into yeah. church, you're going to be right. So occupation is going to dictate what your political leanings are going to be. And it is just what it is. So family, occupation. Third one is maybe you grew up and your family wasn't into politics or anything. And they're just like, we don't care. But then you go into college, somebody took a liking, a coach, a professor, a teacher, a boss, whatever that boss is, political philosophies are of life, they can impose it on you. Mm. And you looked at this person as a hero. So they replace the hero figure. You want to be like them. Their philosophies are passed down to you. Then there's the last one, which the last one is a life-changing experience. For example, Say, for example, somebody has a gun in their house and they were pro NRA Second Amendment in America, but a three-year-old niece grabs the gun, plays with it, kills themselves. That family doesn't think anybody needs to have a gun because every time they think about a gun, they think about their niece and they're heartbroken, right? What I learned from my experiences, the worst group to debate is the last one. It's, there's no point to debating mm. because you're challenging a emotionally life-changing event that you just can't change their minds mm -hmm. you're offending them essentially by actually debating with them i don't debate them i just say i sympathize with you i am so sorry for that experience i'm sure you know life is going to lead you in different places and all the best to you all the other ones if a person's level of reasoning is very low i avoid that conversation okay. because i look for the 20 percent of people in the middle who can reason with those people. I love having great conversations together with, mm. and preferably I like you to be in a different place. I like you to be an atheist. I like to not believe in God. I like for you to be a person that's a Democrat or a Republican. Maybe I'm a registered independent libertarian. Maybe you're on the other side, but if you can reason, we can make it work. And 
half the relationship in business, marriage, kids, coaching, any of that stuff, it works because a core group of people are able to reason together, even though they have different opinions. Right. I love that. I love that. And you know what? Yeah, I, I'm, I am uncovering more people like that, which is just such a welcome surprise. And even, even on the back of, of the piece I wrote yesterday about the trucker convoy and to clarify, like, essentially what I wrote, Patrick, was, you know, I supported this convoy because I support civil disobedience, broad strokes. I just think it's really important to challenge authority. You know, otherwise it's bad for everybody, but that's enough to like inflame people, right? Sometimes. However, like a few hundred responses came back with really articulate, well-constructed criticisms or comments or feedback. And we ended up in like awesome, awesome civil discourse and debate, which is kind of the goal because you can uncover people who are comfortable talking about things that make them uncomfortable, right? Um, you mentioned something about, you know, feel, fear, fear of failure and aversion to it. And, you know, I think we all see a lot of this. I have three boys. They're very young, you know, one, three, and five. So, you know, one thing my wife and I are constantly talking about is how do we get our kids comfortable with adversity and understand the relationship and the significance and the importance of hard work and doing hard things, right, for the reward later. You know, and I, I where we landed was like, what we might lack today as a society is a ritual that's always existed, as far as I can tell, in, in previous civilizations. And this is the rite of passage, the coming of age ceremony, right? That marks a point in your life when you move from, from child to adult, right? Boy to man, et cetera. And without this, we kind of just like evolve into adult children sometimes maybe. And, and do you think this is somewhat of a symptom right now in, in Western societies, Patrick, that we, we, we grow up without growing up? Does that speak to you at all? Yeah, it does. Um, and and I, I, I think the, the byproduct of that is the lowering of the standards by the leaders of the household, where they lower the standards, okay? okay. So meaning us as parents, you know, this whole notion where they, we will say things like this, I can't wait to be a millionaire so my kid can go do whatever they want to do and pa 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 bullshit. So, so let me get this straight. So you want to become rich to make life easier for your kids? Well, then the cycle keeps continuing. Okay. You know the whole thing about harder times produce strong leaders. Strong leaders produce great times. Great times produce weak leaders. Weak leaders produce hard times. You've heard this quote before. It's of been course. said a million times. Okay. So then the challenge becomes, what is the outcome of becoming financially successful? Is it to make a life easier on everybody else? I don't know. I had a guy who was one of the best interior designers in LA. He was making $2 million a year as an interior designer in LA. And I was his financial advisor. And uh, I sat down one day with him and I say, so after taxes, you're netting around a million bucks. Yes, that's 80 a month. Yes, let's go through your expenses. Fantastic. So tell me where this money is going. Well, $14,000 a month, I give to my mom, my dad, and my auntie. I said, what do you do? He says, $14,000 a month. I, I said, why, why is that? Oh, because I don't want them to ever work again. And I'm taking care of them. And you need to give them $14,000 a month to do that? Yeah. Has it always been $14,000? No, it used to be $2,000. Who increased it? I increased it. What are you going to do if a real estate uh, crash comes up and that goes away? What's their lifestyle like? Tell me what your mom drives. S550. What's your dad drive? SL, what's your auntie drive? Five series. Where do they live? They live in this uh, apartment in Beverly Hills. 
They couldn't live in an apartment in, let's just say, Northridge. They have to live in an apartment in Beverly Hills. Yeah, because they're close to the mall and everything else. I want them to enjoy themselves. I say, so say shit hits the fan. You're not making 1.8, 1.9 anymore. That was his income. Then what do you do? It's not going to happen. You sure? Yeah. Okay. Two years later, it's 2008. Market tanks, 38%. He's still a friend. Till today, he's a friend. Till today, he's a friend. Text me, we talk. And he started as a client. So we sit down. I said, how you doing? Not so good. I said, where's your income at? From 1.8, I'm at 400,000. And it's, he says, it's probably going to be 200,000 next year. I said, damn. Right. The first question I ask is, tell me about how your mom, your dad, and your auntie's doing. We're not, we're not on good terms. I said, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. How much are you giving them right now? I'm not, I can't give them anything. Mm. I said, so how's your personal life then with your wife and kids? My wife left me. I said, so let me get this straight. On paper, you're an incredible son and a nephew because you're taking care of mom, dad, and auntie, 14 grand a month. What, a, what an incredible nephew. What a great, my son got me an SL5, you know, my son, my nephew got me a BMW. Yeah. But you trying to be a great son, a great nephew cost you your marriage and you got two kids. I do. Okay. So this whole idea about wanting to become rich to make everyone's life easier around us is a catastrophic formula. You know, my wife and I were having dinner one day and it's nine o'clock at night. My number one sales guy who brings $20 million a year to us was calling me. And my wife says, babe, can you just not pick up the phone? I said, babe, you know how much dinner is going to be tonight? He says, she says, how much? I said about a thousand bucks. I said, you know, if the guy that's calling me right now wasn't in the company, we can't have this dinner tonight. We'd be at Chipotle. Let me answer this call. I pick up the call. She said, babe, that makes a lot of sense. I picked up a call. I said, can I call you back in an hour? I'm at dinner with my wife. No problem. And everybody's understanding. No problem. I'll call you back. My wife was okay with it. The other person was okay with it. But the point is, when you make it, you can't forget like who helped you get there at the same time. And simultaneously, you also can't make life easier on your kids. In my household, the currency in our house is reading. Okay? Whatever you want from me, you get to negotiate with me based on how many pages you read. To me, maybe wrong, it's not how much of a good job you did cleaning your room. That's mandatory. You have to do that. To me, it's not about you cleaning your bed. That's mandatory. I don't want you to think in life you earn things based on cleaning because then you're going to go be somebody that cleans rooms. No, I want you to think you earn based on feeding your mind and developing the way you process issues. That's how you earn and you win with me. So we have a certain criteria we create. I don't want to go too deep into it, but I'll give you one of the things. You know, one of the things is, hey, listen, if you get a full ride scholarship to any school, okay? And my kids are, I told them this when they were five, eight, and nine. I said, if you get a full ride scholarship to a school, that's $300,000. I said, you know what happens? What? I cut you a check for $300,000. What do you mean? I said, well, if you don't get a full ride scholarship, I'm paying that $300,000. But if you go to school and you get that full ride scholarship, I'm going to give you that money, that $300,000. And you get to start it with a business or a building or a house or do whatever you want to do with that money, but you get that money. But you got to get a full ride scholarship. And we got all these criteria in the house, but I do whatever I can uh, to not try to make their life super easy because it's such an easy life they're living right now. They're living in a $35 million house. Right. These guys, these guys are every day, they're in a two, $300,000 car. Yeah. They eat at a nice restaurant four times a week. 
They go on boats, they go on jet skis, they go to the highest clubs. Celebrities come to our house left and right all the time, like it's not a big deal. So they're kind of like, you know, they're living this life. I have to figure out a way to make their life harder or else they won't appreciate any of this. And by the way, this is one of the hardest things to do as a parent when it can yes. be so easy for them. Especially in that situation to police their upbringing such that they have a sense of reality and an appreciation for hard work. It's remarkably hard. I mean, even like as the father of three boys, you know, we want our kids to experience adversity, but it's hard to watch them go through it, right? I want to jump in, swoop in and solve a problem. If my kid's getting bullied or if something's happening, he's scared to let them just go through it and evolve on their own and learn the hard lesson. It's tough. It's really tough, isn't it? Yeah. But how important very, is that? Very, very hard. Mm, very interesting. Hard. But if they, if they solve the problem they solve themselves, they own it. It's theirs. Thank yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny as a parent, I, what I fear is like, <clears throat> they'll remember I wasn't there for them, right? That'll be their memory of it. When in reality, what they're probably learning is how competent they are, right? And, and they're becoming empowered. But as the, as the father, you're looking down thinking like, isn't this my role, right? Isn't this my role to be the protector, be the provider, et cetera, et cetera. I think the foundation, the, the one thing that is the glue is, is love has to be foundation because no matter how tough you are on your kids, it should never be without love. Love has to be the foundation. Love is the last thing and the first thing to start off with is the love aspect. And the other part is with our kids, I'll say in the house, you guys can make fun of each other and we can't laugh at each other. It's fine. We're a family. But if from the outside, somebody makes fun of your brother and you laugh with them, you can have a problem with me. Mm -hmm. Nobody laughs at you. You don't join other people making fun of your brother or your sibling. The world is already going to do that forever. The moment someone laughs at your brother, even if you agree with them, you defend your brother. You defend your family because mm -hmm. you guys are going to be together for the rest of your lives. I'm not going to be here forever, but you guys are going to be together for the rest of your lives. You're trying to be the, the DUG philosophy, Doug. You're constantly defusing, unifying, and you're the glue of the family. Defuse, unify, glue. Defuse, unify, glue. Defuse, unify, glue doing a lot of that right now, Patrick. <laughs> Three boys, I'm sure you're doing a lot of that. <laughs> Every day, man. Yeah. All right. I want to pivot back to the media business a little bit because uh, I, I feel aligned with you. Like, I, you know, I think I opened up this interview sounding a pessimistic about what I'm seeing out there, but I'm an optimist, man. And I'll, I'll bet on human ingenuity seven days a week. So, um, you know, and I, I'm trying to do my part. I, I, you know, we're building our own thing over here and, and trying to have hard, important conversations. If you were to fast forward, you know, five, 10 years down the road, you know, what does this look like? I've heard you talk about, um, you know, how great it would be, or, or would somebody like a Rogan or an Elon Musk actually tackle the media business next and what that could mean. But, you know, if you think forward and maybe you're doing this, because uh, I know you're disrupting things at Valuetainment right now. You know, what does the media landscape look like in five, 10 years? Is it, is it the world of the independent creator? Um, you know, where do we land? Citizen journalism, independent creator. There's going to be a lot of small to mid-sized media companies. There's already a lot of small to mid-sized media companies. Individuals are bigger media companies than actual media companies. Like Joe Rogan is a bigger media company than many media companies. This is why I think Joe Rogan as an individual is a billion dollar entity. Mm -hmm. So if I was Elon Musk, I'd be the first to sign Joe Rogan for to a 20 year contract of 50 per year. And I would say, Joe, let's go run a company and I want you to be the face. 
but I want you to sign for 20 year and I'll give you equity on the back end, but it's $50 million, 20 years, because Joe, Joe's brand is, is a very valued brand. So individuals are becoming media companies. You are a small media company. You are a small media company. I'm a small media company. People are going to become media companies as individuals. And then some are going to have bigger following, bigger influence. And then it's going to be the battle of philosophies. You know, you like you look at the you look at the rock. One of the most uncomfortable things with the rock is I said this on a podcast a few months ago. Here's a guy that comes across as a man's man. Okay. Here's a man that comes across as a likable guy, as a guy you'd want to be friends with, as a guy you wouldn't mind having as a brother or a military buddy, or maybe a father or an uncle. He's that guy. Like, how do you not like the rock? He's super likable, right? But this is the problem. If rock's number one standard is to be likable, he will be controlled by those who like him. Mm -hmm. Let me say that one more time. If the rock's standard of winning is to be likable, he will be controlled by those who like him. Because those who like him, if they change what they like, the rock has to constantly change to their standard of liking. I don't know if I'm making sense. So if all of a sudden those people no longer like what used to be okay, and now they're going more extreme, the rock has to constantly adjust and pivot versus, listen, this is who I am. I'm willing to argue you and I'm willing to see this. I totally understand everybody. Cool. Don't agree with everybody. But this is what I stand for. And by standing for this, I'm going to piss off some people on this side. I'm going to piss off some people on this side. But eventually, a year, two years, three years, five years later, those who started disliking you will see you as a leader, not just a form of entertainment. So I think what is happening right now with all this followership is people are really worried about sharing what they're really thinking about because they may follow, they may lose a percentage of their followers. So it's more about, don't say that, get a publicist, don't use that word, but that's what I believe in. I know that's what you believe in, but don't post it because it's the wrong time and it's this and it's that. So I think those who become the most uh, uh, authentic are going to win. I think being fake is eventually gonna be shown. People don't like fake. You know, as much as you hate, people may hate Trump, Trump got a lot of royal following because he said, here's who I am. You don't like it. I don't give a shit. Like, this is who I am. And that's attractive to certain people. Certain people like it when people flip-flop all the time, but very few people do. Very, very few people do. So I think the media company is going to change a lot. Industry is going to change a lot. I think some of these uh, uh, media companies that are always, you know, telling bullshit lies and just making up narratives and all that stuff, they're going to be exposed. It will not be pretty. Um, years ago, the gun used to be called the great equalizer where, a 80 year old woman who's five, two hundred pounds can go against a guy like me. That's six, five, two fifty because she's got a gun. We're equal. You're nobody back up PBD. Who do you think you are? I'm like, Hey, you have to back up right today. CNN, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, you know, Fox, every one of these guys, their great equalizer is these talent podcasters are now becoming 
same size eyeballs as those guys are, and that's the great equalizer. So you can't bully them anymore. So the, the next influence becomes that if these virtual governments don't get any competition, and the virtual governments, I'm talking about Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all those guys, if those guys don't get any kind of competition with new companies, yeah, they're going to have a lot of control. But I lean towards the capitalist and the creative. That's going to create competition for everybody. I just bank on that. I'm with you. Okay, so so much to unpack there. So I, I agree. And, and just as I said, I support you know civil disobedience, just broad strokes, because it's important to challenge authority. The platforms you just mentioned, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, they're becoming sort of like virtual governments. And without some competition, right? That's that's the runaway train that I don't wanna I don't wanna watch occur. You talked about uh, you know voicing opinions that may lose you fans, right? And <clears throat> you know where this gets really tough in my experience. You you obviously have experienced this. I can I can write an email, put out a piece of content, and have subscribers that I don't know get irate and unsubscribe, and it doesn't bother me. But where it's much tougher is when people I know personally, people that I care about and love get offended and check out and turn their back because they're like, your opinion on this is too strong. It's too offensive and it disrupts the relationship, right? And that then it becomes personal. And when it affects your inner circle, whether it's family, friends, immediate community, that's that's when I found myself questioning myself a little bit. A little bit. And it's taken a lot more bravery to step forward and say things anyways, because you got to be true to yourself first, right? But it's a, it's a tough one though. Yeah, family, you know, um, my dad and I one time, um, it, listen, it, it, also, it, it also depends on what you're solving for, okay? And here's what I mean by that. It also depends on what you're solving for. If you just want to live a regular life and you just want to have a peaceful life and success to you is the least amount of conflict and the least amount of pushback and the least amount of, you know, friction with people, don't do it. If that's success to you. Yeah. And to some, it is. To some, it is. Like how to win friends and influence people. One of the rules is what? Never, the best uh, uh, way to win an argument is to avoid one, right? So right. imagine this book has sold 50 million copies and most business people have read this book and they're like, but dude, Dale Carnegie, who's the Bible says the best argument to win is to avoid an argument. I don't want to argue because that's one of the rules from the Bible of how to win friends and influence people. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? It depends on the life you're trying to live. If success to you is landing that $600,000, you know, rollover. Yeah. Avoid the conflict. If success to you is Selling that $3 million property, yeah, avoid the conflict if that's success to you. But when it comes down to family, and I am trying to maybe take my level of who I want to be in the family to the next level, that only happens with some friction. I did that. I remember I, I, I got to a point where I, I had a meeting with my mom a week before I got married. And I told my mom, I said, mom, I love you. I said, for 29 years, 30 years, you've been the number one of my life. On June 26th, you will go to number two because my wife's going to take over number one. And you don't say something like that to a Middle Eastern woman. She just see <laughs> the look on her face. And I said, and let me explain to you why. I said, would you like me to get a divorce the way you and daddy got a divorce? No. Then that's why I'm going to make her number one. Okay. She didn't like that. Well, my mom and dad, when I was getting married, they hadn't been in the same room for 20 years. And they hadn't gotten an invitation to the wedding. So both of them called me one week. 
And I said, what's up? She says, listen, everybody I talked to got an invitation to your wedding except me. I said, yeah, you're not invited. Wait, I'm not invited to the wedding? Of course not. Why would you be invited to the wedding? I'm your mom. I'm your dad. I said, dad, you think I'm going to invite you to the wedding where you're going to see your ex-wife that you haven't been in the same room with for 20 years and the first time you're going to see her is at my wedding? There's no way I'm going to do that to my wife. If you guys want to come to the wedding, you guys can come to the house and I will leave you guys alone at the dinner table and you guys can talk to each other and hash it out. And if I feel comfortable with the two of you, then I'll invite you, but I'm not doing it without that. I would never be in the same room with them. You're right. That's why you're not invited to the wedding. So I hung up. They call me back. Okay, I'll meet with them. Okay, I'll meet with her. No problem. Let's do this Friday. They come to the house. It's the most awkward meeting. So I'm just looking at them. They're like, you know, can't stand each other. And I said, okay, you guys good? Because Jennifer and I are going to step out. Yes. So I step out. Five minutes later, they're screaming, come back, come back. I come back in. Okay, we're good. You sure you're good? Yes. You ain't arguing at my wedding. No, we're not going to do it. You're invited to my wedding. Here's your invite. Here's your invite. At one point, you have to set the tone of who's going to be the leader of that household, but you can't disrespect. You have to do your best to not disrespect. You have to be as reasonable as possible, as patient as possible. But this is what I believe in. This is who I am. This is the life I want to live. And I'm totally okay if you don't agree with me, but this is the direction I'm going in my life. I hope you support it. And if you don't, I totally understand. I don't expect you to fully understand the life I want to live. But this is the calling I have. This is the fire I have in my belly. And I'm going to go with it. I support whatever you do. I hope you support whatever I do. You know, that approach. And it's just worked for me over the years. And I have lost some people that are relatives and best of friends. But I can't live a life of conformity. It sucks. You're in jail. You're held in hostage. What a terrible life to live. I, I can't live that life. Because remember, success to me is something else than what success is to others. If the definition of success to you is different than the definition of success, forget about what it means to me. You go live the life of the success that it means to you. I'm comfortable with my definition. I can't impose mine on yours. I love that, man. And you can take that lesson about conformity and just apply it to, you know, social dynamics, not just your immediate family, but, you know, it, it, it takes it takes a lot to stick your neck out like that, whether, I mean, you're speaking directly to your mom, it's, it's monumental, right? But even to say the same thing within a community of yours and offend people that you're aligned with and you, you yeah, okay, hold close. So do you think right now we're sitting in, in what is the equivalent of a gold rush in the media business? Everything you said kind of reaffirms things that I've been watching and, and hoping are true that, you know, the time is now to stick your neck out, raise your voice, right? And have an opinion. And media is breaking in front of us right now. And there will be a rise. There's, I mean, we're watching this rise right now of independent creators, journalism, journalism's being redefined in the best way possible. Um, and so is this the gold rush? Is this the gold rush in the media sector? Is this, it's blowing up in front of us? And new paths are- That's a good way of putting it. I would say yes. All right. I would say yes. But, but you have to realize that, you know, so again, so it's, it is the gold rush, but what are you solving for? Okay, so for example, if you know how there's levels of, okay, you're going to be a mayor, then you say, you know, I'm going to be a city councilman, or I'm going to be a senator, congressman, I'm going to be a governor. No, I want to be a president. There's levels to also be in a media company, right? So you may start a media company, 
that only covers uh, a niche, and that's Vancouver, okay? You're gonna be a media company that is gonna be the biggest media company in Toronto, and it's specific to entrepreneurs, small mm. business. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think that is the way to win. Like the way we had our breakout is for the first two years, nobody knew who I was when I was creating content because I was talking just open about a lot of different things. If you go back and watch my first few episodes, it was called Two Minutes with Pat. Like flip it, go to the older ones. You're like, what's he talking about? He's, you know, he's all over the place, right? Hmm. And then finally, I made the one word, my word, and it was entrepreneur. That's what I know a lot about. Hmm. So everything I put out there was around entrepreneurship. Then I found my audience of specifically entrepreneurship. Then I went wide. Right. So let's let's take that to a different angle. How did Rogan get started? Rogan was a guy that was a fear factor guy. He was on a he was an actor. But he was always in martial arts, Taekwondo, Jiu-Jitsu. So he knew a lot about Jiu-Jitsu. So then UFC is one of his outlets. He's the most famous guy in the world of, you know, what do you call it? Uh, UFC. Him and Connor yeah. are probably the most famous. Yeah. And then all of a sudden. We realized he knows a lot about drugs, so weed, and he was in a lot of documentaries of trying to legalize weed, and then comedy, and he had that one big breakout with him and Carlos Mencia where he called him out, yeah. and that was all the news. So, so, that, so he pulled from three different audiences, UFC, drugs, comedy, right? UFC, weed, comedy, and weed is a cult-like following. Sure where they're very much, and not today. Today, nobody cares anymore because it's now legal in most places, but 20 yeah. years ago, 15 years ago. Yeah, that was that was very big. Right. So I think it's more going to be niche. I think the media companies are going to get started with like a personality that starts, you know, uh, writing about one thing or opinion about one thing. And that's going to lead into a small audience. Then it's going to attract other audiences and then it's going to get bigger. And only a few of them are going to be the big dogs that that fight at the highest level and but there's going to be a lot of small successful mid-sized companies in the media side that are going to have influence a lot of them i love that okay look i'll i'll wrap it up there patrick thanks so much for your time and chatting with me anytime buddy thank you if you enjoy my content do me a favor follow or subscribe to this podcast drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend all of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.